Welcome everybody to the Godcast. We are back in the studio with another human being besides myself. I'm so happy that you, you don't have to just just hear this one way conversation or not conversation. So I'm joined with uh, with Ryland. Hello. And we were actually having a, a pretty cool conversation about, uh, before this about mimetic desire, which was uh, it's just a, a philosophical concept by a man named Rene Girard. But um, we can maybe circle back to that later sometime in this uh, yeah. in this uh, a conversation. But anyways, uh, Ryland, you want to talk? I want to take it away with what the topic of this uh, podcast is about. All right, so we're going to talk about religion and its effects on uh, sort of uh, overall happiness and um, its role in society in. Um, what's the word? Like, um, hold on. <laughs> uh, so, 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 social utility. Yeah, social utility, exactly. And whether it's an overall benefit or, or an overall negative on um, people's happiness. All right. Um, do you, I know that you've prepared an entire script. I actually have. Uh, I've been. I've been. I've, the, my script is in my mind. We'll say that. We'll say that. So I, I can just start by, by having my own thoughts on this. Uh, one thing that I think is uh, is important about uh, religion, uh, and this is actually ties a lot into uh, this idea of presuppositionalism, um, but within a religious worldview, there is an objective set of right and wrong. And I think once you uh, deviate away from that, uh, uh, categories become very confusing. Hey, is this thing objectively right or objectively wrong? I don't really know. Uh, does objective does objectivism exist, or is everything relative? And I think that that creates lots of confusion. When like the foundation of, I mean, the foundation of of reason is is the presupposition of truth. I mean, that's how you build an inductive argument, right? In an inductive argument, you start out with smaller truths and you build your way up to the to the thing you're trying to prove at the top. But when once but this, all this entire pyramid of inductive reasoning is based upon truth, the presupposition of truth, the foundation of truth. And if truth is taken out of reality, then um, that whole inductive uh, pyramid collapses and everything becomes, uh, well, relative. Um, so that's sort of a philosophical approach to the necessity of religion. So saying that objective truth exists, well, that that could very well be barring from the worldview of theism. So do you want to add on to that? Yeah, um, I think it's also interesting to mention uh, the difference between democratic societies and like underdeveloped countries, because there is a difference, um, with democratic countries, people tend to value their freedoms more. Um, and they value like free thought, meaning religion almost isn't as necessary as it is in, um, a more underdeveloped society, because in those societies, um, religion plays a more important role in keeping people's morale up and keeping their hope when things are uh, generally, when life is generally more difficult than the average person in uh, a more democratic country. Yes, uh, I mean, you know, Karl Marx, who um, was um, wrong on a lot of things, um, said that <laughs> he said that uh, religion is the as the opium of the people, which is a kind of uh, it, it's an interesting concept. And well, the idea is basically that religion sort of uh, sort of contains the, uh, the the people in, in underdeveloped or underprivileged uh, environments. It's, it sort of uh, prevents them from rebelling against people who are of, um, I guess, an, an upper uh, strata of society. What's actually interesting, though, is um, is that, you know, um, I don't know, this is a very strange thing. I don't know if you've ever been on the, uh, ever, ever been on the, um, the website of the uh, Bourbon family, who are the, um, uh, not actually not Bourbon family, the Orleans family, who are the quote unquote pretenders to the French throne. Like, there's no French monarchy, anyways. Anyways, uh, anymore. Anyways, um, 
on their website, they actually have, they're actually advertising religious literature. So I find it funny that these people who are actually the, uh, who would be the French royalty if it were not for the Bourbon family and also if it were not for the fact that, like, that there's no longer a French, there's no longer a monarchy in France, these people are promoting religious material. And I find that very interesting. Um, basically, I mean, after all, the, the British royal family, they're technically the, the head of the Anglican church. Um, it's interesting how it seems to, to me to be sort of polarized. People who are literal monarchs do have some sort of religion. Why? Well, it seems to me to be part of their tradition, part of their identity. And people who are of a poor, um, economically poor part of society, they may hold on to religion because it's the only thing that really gives them meaning and prevents them from going absolutely mad. It can also be used as a form of control by the elites. That's that's like a more pessimistic view of religion. But um, if a monarch was seen by the peasants as being uh, religiously justified in their role, then they were less likely to be overthrown, right? I don't think that religion, or at least I don't think that Christianity and... Uh, and um, yeah, I don't think that Christianity, though, was, was uh, created with the purpose of, essential, of of controlling people from the top down. I actually think um, it, it, it emerges as, as a sort of uh, social movement to some degree, but also as, uh, as a religion in general. Um, I, don't, I don't know enough to comment on other religions, but I do think that in general, this idea that, the religion, that religion is controlling the masses is to, me, is to me conspiracy theory because we have to think about this. Okay, like, so the Pope of the Catholic Church, right? Um, he didn't. He was not born into the office of pope. He uh, was, a, a, I mean, Pope Francis, for example. He was first a normal person, a lay person. Then he became a priest, and then he progressively moved his way up um, the, the the ladder of of the church. Uh, even if that's not, even if if he hasn't held every single position up the hierarchy, there have been other you know popes who've done that. But the point is that they've all they all start at the bottom. So I don't think it's this sort of I mean, every person who is the head of of, of a religious organization, um, unless, you know, I don't know, like their parents started it, like, I mean, th- there are examples of that, um, have have risen from the, the, the bottom up. They were, you know, sincere believers who believed in the message and then eventually re- reached the top, is from what I can presume. Um, yeah, of course, like, the present time is, is different, but what about in the medieval time, like, uh, when there were kings and a more feudalist system, like, wouldn't it be different? Wouldn't religion be used as something to control uh people uh yeah i mean i i, I would yeah t- there's there was definitely I, I think there was a large element of that i mean like there there was the papal states for example these were like literal literal states uh that, that were controlled by by the pope and in the middle ages the pope was essentially the um almost like the emperor of europe um and you can also see the, a very similar thing with islam and you can see that that the caliph uh actually held uh you know political authority. Islam rose as both an empire and a religion, whereas in the case of Christianity, it became a religion of, actually a religion of, of slaves is what it was accused of being, a religion of, of slaves and the uneducated by uh, pagan opponents, such as uh, Celsus, for example, whose work contras, who, whose work is contained within origin of Alexandria's text Contra Celsus. Um, but then it basically r- rose up to become a religion of, 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 of both kings and the peasants with Constantine and uh, other and, and subsequent medieval uh, Catholic uh, and, I suppose, uh, Orthodox uh, kings in, in, in their, their countries. So I, I think there definitely is sort of an element of, uh, of, of that, of what you were speaking about. All right. Do you mind if I change the subject a little bit? Go for it. Um, all right. So moving back to 
uh, like the present time with religion and happiness. Um, so generally, there's been a positive correlation between people who are happy and people who are religious. Um, but a lot of people say that you can't equate this sort of correlation to that causation because it could be that people who are happy tend to um, be more actively religious, not the other way around. So I was wondering what your opinions were on that. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen statistics in which it's really, there really isn't much of a correlation. Like if you're, if you're, or at least in the sense that if you're non-religious, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're depressed. I mean, that's a sort of a, that's a sort of stereotype. Like, ah, you know, if you're not religious, you must uh, be, you know, super depressed and uh, just, just in awe in not awe, but in, I mean, in awe in a bad way at, at the vast, the vastness of the universe, the, seemingly the seemingly insignificant the seeming insignificance of humanity as this tiny speck on a pebble in the in the entirety of the universe right and this idea that that when people die there's there's nothing after it uh, that, that that's sort of a a trope that atheists are, are just you know fixated on this and are depressed about it um whereas i've seen statistics that 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 they're not at least in like the the kind of the, the northern triangle area of of of, of the americas so you think that um, do you think that people who are generally happy tend to be more religious, or do you think they're religious because they're happy, or happy because they're religious? I don't have enough data on that to make a decision. Um, so uh, in the research that I did <laughs> today, uh, I also found that there's a lot of confounding variables when studying this type of thing because there's there's a lot of different uh, there's a lot of different variables that can throw off the data. Um, for example, if you ask like a Christian how important religion is to them or how important God is to them, they're going to rank it very high if they're a devout Christian. But if you ask an atheist how important is your belief or how important is your non-belief in God, they generally wouldn't rank it as something like very important in their life. Um, so that's why it's really difficult to study this this sort of thing and it's hard to find any uh correlation or it's i mean it's easy to find correlation but it's difficult to find causation yeah i mean i i think that religion is can definitely be used to like i mean i th- i think re- religion can give can give meaning um i i think i think to some degree it is the only objective it is the only means by which we can have objective things. Uh, with with when in atheism, you are forced to admit that, well, there really is no objective black on this camera here that I'm pointing to. There really is no objective thing thing called a computer on which we are recording, and there is no objective. Um, right nor wrong. I mean, even verificationism. I'm not sure if you're familiar with with with, with what yeah, with what verificationism is, but it's the idea that we can only achieve knowledge by what by our five senses. So, for example, I really I know that there is a black camera kind of, and I know that that there is a computer kind of. I know that I'm talking to you, and we're in a room because I can see it, and then this is further enhanced by the fact that like. I can hear myself knocking on my table and it on this table and it hurts a little bit. Like when I hit it, I can feel that. And then um, it's even more real if I can like smell this microphone. Doesn't really smell like anything. <laughs> and then if I can eat food, it's you know you know I'm actually eating something. Uh, but here's the problem with verificationism: the idea that truth can be attained through the five senses 
Well, I mean, verification. Yeah. So that idea is kind of self-contradictory. It is very self-contradictory. Not kind of. It certainly is because can verificationism be verified by its own criteria? See, you can't verify verificationism by smelling it, tasting it, touching it, hearing it, or seeing it. What, what do you think about like objectivity and, and religion and things like that? Yeah, I think that's interesting because our senses are also limited. Like we can't, we, we know for a fact that there's things that we can't perceive as human beings. So um, are you saying that religion offers an explanation or like an, an objectivity to, to everything? Yes, it does. There's a really interesting guy named uh, Greg Bonson. He was a, he's, he's a Calvinist, and uh, he was a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. He was very conservative. And uh, whether or not you're a, you're, you're, a, a, you're a Calvinist or even religious, it's still really interesting to watch his debate. There was a debate he had with a guy named Edward uh, Tabish. And what's so interesting about this debate is he keeps saying to his opponent, because he's a presuppositionalist, so the way that he argues is that it's essentially atheism is impossible and i mean he's only arguing with an atheist so he doesn't have to attack any other worldviews but he's saying well you know atheism is, is impossible therefore we have to you know consider christianity right christianity is true uh, and then atheism is false he just presupposes christianity because he can he has the objective means by which to say but which to you know point fingers at things and say these are right and wrong whereas the other person who's the atheist cannot go about doing that. They cannot go about proving ethics or, or just things that objectively are. It's a really interesting debate to watch because, debate to watch because what, keep, what keeps happening is, is he keeps saying, ah, you know, you're borrowing from the theistic, um, you're, you're borrowing from the theistic worldview because inductive reasoning has truth at the bottom, right? That's the foundation of inductive reasoning. But since there is no objective truth within an atheistic worldview, he argues, and I would agree with him on that, you are, whenever you are attacking scripture by saying it's not true, you are actually borrowing from the theistic worldview or saying that it's unethical or Christianity is unethical, people have done unethical things, whatever, that's still borrowing from the Christian worldview. Do you kind of see what I'm saying on that? Yeah, but um, how does religion offer an objective truth, though? The idea is that basically... It's natural law theory, so there's a moral law giver, there's someone who pronounces things that pronounces that things are objective. And this would be God. God is the person who, or the being who states that, um, you, you know, uh, you go back to the book of Genesis. Um, uh, God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's something, it's, it's something of that nature. God said, this is moral. Therefore it's moral. It's divine command theory. Whereas in an atheistic worldview, there's nothing on which to back up one's morality and one's view of the world. Um, in, 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 in a sense of like, you know, material objects or anything at all. And the idea within, again, uh, theism is that there is natural law. There's a natural law giver who pronounces things right and wrong and objective and not and so forth. So are you saying that religion could determine whether something is morally right or morally wrong and there's no gray area? Yes. The idea is that in atheism, everything's gray area. It's everything's not. It's not that everything in atheism is in and of itself moral or immoral. It's more like amoral. There's like no means by which to determine if something is good or bad. In in theism, God is the standard by which every action is measured. Does this, does this comply with God's moral law? If it does, it's good. If it doesn't, it's it's evil. 
So you think theism is like an important tool for people to determine whether their actions are moral or immoral and it acts as justification for their actions? Yeah, I actually don't think that religion will die. Even though we're seeing a decline of Christianity in the West, I think that's, I think that's, I, I just don't see right now, from my understanding of it, albeit very limited, how utilitarianism, even like negative utilitarianism or rule utilitarianism, could go about producing a moral system. Because what this really comes down to is, well, let's try to make sure that the majority are happy. Um, so how do you explain why someone who identifies as an atheist can do morally good things? Like, what, what would their justification be for doing morally good things? Well, the idea is that if you want to actually live, well, let's talk about Let's talk about my philosophical problem with atheism, and then we can, well, actually, let me, let me talk about that next. Let me address your question, and let's talk about that. The idea is that if you're an atheist and you do something that's good, let's say you, um, I don't know, you... Um, Help the homeless. Exactly. You are borrowing from the theistic worldview because within an atheistic worldview, it is utterly pointless to go about doing that. You might be saying, well, of course it's not. You're doing good. Well, what is good? Well, good's... Um, good's Bettering society. Well, how do you define bettering society? And it becomes an endless game of definitions, which are only, um, which only um, can be of value or of meaning or of some sort of objective um, definition within a theistic worldview. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then, in regards to my problems with atheism, is that if we were to truly live as if there is no God, and we were to, and we were to live within a Darwinian paradigm. Now, I'm not denying that Darwinian evolution is true. I'm just saying if we, are, if we were to live within a naturalistic Darwinian worldview, we would not be having this conversation right here because within Darwinianism, within, within naturalism, the, the, the ultimate goal for human beings would be to pass on their genes. That, that's, that's it. I mean, look, look at the achievements of, of art. Look, look at you know, Michelangelo, Donatello, Picasso. Look at the uh, achievements in, I don't know, business, you know, John D. Rockefeller and, and, and so forth. Uh, look at you know, the great achievements in music, Beethoven, Bach, and Mozart. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, but within an atheistic, uh, naturalistic, Darwinian worldview, these people are not successful. The person who's the most successful would be Genghis Khan. Because, yeah. Why? Because he, he, he's passed on the most of his yeah. genes. Most pe he is the person who, out of everyone on earth, most people are related. Most yeah. people are related. In other words, he is, the, he is the person who has, in some way, fathered the most people or grandfathered or great-great-grandfathered or great-great-great-grandfathered the most people. So you think there's definitely more to life than just uh, reproduction, right? There's something more. It seems like it. And that's, that's the problem because Burt Rand Russell was anti-war. He was, uh, you know, he, you're familiar with Burt Rand, Burt Rand Russell. I don't, I, I don't know much about him, to be, to be perfectly honest. I can't pretend to, but he's a pretty famous person, and he wrote a book called Why I'm Not a Christian. Well, he was, he was anti-war. Uh, he was, you know, he, he, he was tempted to promote good in his own terms. Well, what's the problem? What's the problem with that worldview? And he recognized this too. It's like, well, you're promoting good, but you have no basis on which to, to define what is good. And only within a theistic worldview, more or less, what you're doing is what you're doing that is good can actually be called good. And that, that that's that's like my that's like my number one problem with atheism. It's 
because the problem with atheism is that why are we actually having this conversation when it would make more sense to try to pass on as much of our genes as possible? We're not acting in accordance with our worldview if we are atheists. Yeah. And that's the, that's the big disconnect between atheistic, between what, what you claim to believe and how you act it out. So I would say, I would say, I would say what you, what you believe is actually what you act out. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I need to process that. <laughs> it, it makes sense though. Cause I guess if you are an atheist, you can do good things, but, um, the Christian argument would be they're only doing them. You're doing them. Um, because that's what our religion says is good. And you don't have a basis for that. Yeah. It seems like the only person who's an atheist is someone who attempts to reproduce as much as possible. And that's yeah. a weird thing to, to, to come to that conclusion. It's like, I'm an atheist. I'm, that religion does so much evil. Look at the look at nine eleven. Look at the look at the, the the fourth crusade. It's like, well, you're condemning these things, yet within a th- but you're borrowing from a theistic worldview. If you were truly of a of a naturalistic Darwinian worldview, you would not care about any of this any of these things. And the only scheming and intellect the only intellectualizing you would be, be doing would be figuring out how you could maximize the amount of genes you've passed on. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty interesting. And do you want to know where I actually got most of this, most of these ideas from? Yeah. Um, Calvinists. Hmm. Yeah, I, I listened to a bunch of their material, and I thought this was interesting, that they are, they, they are fundamentalists, and they are not, well, the ones that I've listened to are, are fundamentalists, and they're not, they're not ashamed to, they're not, they're not ashamed to um, be referred to as such, which is, which, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I, I don't know, it's kind of a neutral term. I don't, I don't think it necessarily has a super negative connotation. Um, but they really, their idea of presuppositionalism, presuppositional apologetics is really interesting because it basically states, as I've been, as I've been going on for the, for the, for the past part of this, of this episode is that there, within an atheistic worldview, there's no way by which to justify right, wrong, or just objective stuff in general. What are your thoughts on it? I've talked far too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it makes sense that in order to justify doing something, you should have um, a reason that you're doing something, not just, I mean, I guess if you asked an atheist why they're doing good things, they would say to better society, but why would you want a better society? And you could keep asking questions. Um, But if you're religious, you can answer that question with just, I do it because it's morally right according to my religion. So that does make sense. But I also, um, um, so whose whose authority would it be to determine whether an action is is morally good or morally wrong? Like, is it the Pope's job to determine whether if to determine whether an action is good or bad? Like, let's say abortion, is it the job of the Pope to use the Bible to in, to interpret and decide whether something is good or bad? Like, who who decides in those like morally gray areas? Yeah, it depends on where your presuppositions fall. If you're gonna if you're gonna vest your authority in um, in the Bible, then well, your, your all your magisterial statements better be. I mean, by your magisterial statements, I'm referring to the Pope's magisterial statements and those of other high ranking uh, officials in the Catholic Church. Those statements better be um, in line with what the Bible teaches. But if your if 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 your ultimate authority is the magisterium. Uh, and the Bible is, is essentially subordinate, or is of a lesser you know, of a lesser degree to 
in some way. Um, then it goes to the then it goes to, to to the to the Pope. But the idea is like who is speaking for God? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Who's speaking for God? Because because at the end of the day, God is the natural law giver. And if you are standing in the office of the natural law giver, well, you can pronounce just about anything, and it's moral. And that, that that's kind of that's kind of the terrifying thing about like about like uh, Christ, about like well, not only Christian theism, but just theism in general. Well, if God pronounces that it is a it is a great moral thing for me to take this camera this this camera tripod and put it on my head and wear it around all the time, well, that's actually a great moral thing. You see, there there's no there's, there, really whatever God pronounces is good. Is good, and that's that. That's it. But how do you decide? Like, how do you determine? Well, I mean, in in a Christian context, there was the Bible, and then uh, you could also say, well, you know, the um the the Pope gets his authority from the Bible. That would be the argument. There's like an entire argument re- relating to the uh, typology between Isaiah 22 and Matthew 16. You could say, well, you know, the, we can trace our lineage back to Peter, and basically, Peter has this uh, has both temporal authority, so like. Yeah, because he's the he's the typology of Eliakim in Isaiah twenty two, who is the chief minister of um, David. So he would have temporal authority. So that would sort of make up for the um, for for any perceived uh, atrocities of that of and things of that nature from the uh, like like essentially emperor popes of the Middle Ages. And then he also has spiritual authority, and within within spiritual authority is also vested ethical authority, which is kind of terrifying. Because if if you're if you're in the office of God, you better like you you kind of, kind of anything goes i i think that's i think that kind of rolls around to relativism right in relativism everyone is in the office of god see that it, i don't know that, that it, that's weird right you, you kind of kind of see what i'm saying there yeah yeah a little bit um so is it is it also up to the individual to use the let's say they're a christian is it up to the individual to use the bible to determine whether their actions are good or bad that would be the natural, yeah, that, that would be the case, yeah. And it, do you think that would lead to the best outcome for society? No, I actually don't think it would. Okay. <laughs> I, think something, I think something of the nature of a, like a Thomas Jefferson Bible could actually be kind of a good Explain idea. that, though. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson's Bible was this, and this is also very paradoxical, too, because it's like, well, it's like, well, you know, I'm I'm here I am as God cutting things out of the Bible or rather Thomas Jefferson is but Thomas Jefferson had a Bible which contained um obviously the New Testament because uh, it's a Christian Bible and in this Bible he had all miracles of Jesus cut out so it was only his teachings so the resurrection snip snip that's out um same with presumably turning water into wine um feeding the 5000 uh raising Lazarus from the dead um and, and and yeah, and, and raising Darius's daughter and things of that nature, that was all cut out. And it was only the ethical teachings of Jesus, essentially, that was, that was preserved. Um, and, and I think something like that could be beneficial to society. But again, the question would be like, how do I even define what good is in the first place without theism? That's kind of the weird paradox of it all. You know, it, it's very strange. It's, 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 a very, it's a very odd thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. Because I don't, I don't think a Christian would say anyone has the authority to... Uh, choose what to believe and what not to believe or what to cut out from the Bible. Um, but I also think like a, a Thomas Jefferson Bible would be more appealing to atheists um, who would be very against like the supernatural aspects of the Bible. But um, 
would the supernatural aspects of the Bible also act as justification for the reasons a person would would follow it? Like a reason, like Jesus rising from the dead, wouldn't that be like a reason to believe in his teachings? That is an excellent point, and uh, with, but yeah, exactly. That, that's 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 sort of the paradox. That's sort of the loop the loop we get ourselves into. Um, it's sort of like you believe in all of it or none of it, because how does the Bible have authority? Well, it's it's purportedly a collection of eyewitness accounts. You'll see this in, in the Gospel of Luke at the very beginning. It's, it's purportedly a collection of eyewitness accounts, as well as an early Christian tradition, um, which states that um, there is a way by which to be saved. And here's the here's the good here's the good part. This all comes from God. God is the authority. And if God is the authority, everything in this text that is ethical must, or yeah, everything in this text is ethical must be ethical in real life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's very complex to see. I know. I know. Now, it's sort of interesting thing because you say, well, you know, um, the Bible, well, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I, I think a big part of, uh, of of religion that's very interesting is that there's this idea. You'll at least see this in, in Judaism and uh, in, in Christianity and probably Zoroastrianism as well. Is the idea that the end does not justify the means. The ends do not justify the means. And I think that's the reason why religion is here to stay, because I, th- I think it's only within a theistic context that you can actually sit there and say the ends do not justify the means. Because think about atheism. I mean, in reality, don't don't the means really ju- don't the don't the don't the ends really justify the means if the most people are are satisfied or if the least amount of people are harmed? Kind of kind of seems like it, and that, that that's the weird that's the weird thing you have to get yourself into, you know. You could make the argument that an atheist would say killing is immoral because killing would lead to less to fewer options of fewer options to reproduce with. So that's something I thought of too. Like you, you, like an atheist could use reproduction as their basis for justification. Like if I kill, there's going to be fewer people available to reproduce with, so I can't do that. That would be immoral. That's true. Although you could basically just make a kind of a cr- crazy argument. You <laughs> do this. This is almost a joke. Like you could say, well, you know, we don't even know that we even we don't even know that we live in a universe. We could all just be, you know, brains floating in a vat of acid in a sort of matrix simulation. But other than something as far out and kind of kooky as that. Uh, yeah, I mean that that that's definitely um, a way by which to to build up ethics. Although you could ask yourself, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that 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 I would have to explore that some more. Because I think um, under like a Darwinian under a Darwinian worldview, the goal of a species is to obviously reproduce and to to further the development of your own species, meaning. It would be immoral to to kill members of your own species, right? What if what if what if they're competitors in your desire to reproduce? That that that's that's, that's an true. interesting one. Like like yeah. it's like well, you know, hey, you know, the death penalty is that should we should should we take that out or should we keep that there? Because you know, if you think, if you think about it, if it's if it's like if I'm killed by the person who's on death row who's going to be executed, if like if we let them off, like like if if their record is violent, and we let them off, we let them go at some point in time in the future. Could they kill me, and then I would be able to reproduce? And after you're able to, after after you're after you're able to reproduce and pass on your genes, it's like, um, 
like after you've after you've you've gone past that age like do you have any do you have any reason to continue to live it's it's a very strange it's a very strange like headspace you get yourself into that's true yeah i didn't think about i didn't think about the that aspect of it with like competitors because yeah in a darwinian society the goal would also be to to outperform your competitors yeah i think this is a pretty good uh, i think i think looking at the darwinian paradigm versus the theistic paradigm is a pretty good way to like show that atheism is um leads to strange conclusions unless you were to say well you know in, in reality darwinianism really doesn't uh the, the meaning of life in darwinianism is really not to uh reproduce um and have your or, or, like have as much of your genes passed on as possible but i, I think that it really would i think that really would be the the, the sort of teleos the sort of end goal of of a darwinian uh of, of life in the darwinian view any other ideas on like do you think religion is psychologically good or psychologically bad do you think it could be uh um i don't know i don't know if i have enough information either um because i don't think there's a definitive causation between religion and happiness i mean i guess if we're saying the goal of life is to be as happy as possible then maybe being religious would be a good idea but there hasn't been definite a definitive conclusion on whether happy people seek out religion or rather whether religion actually makes you happy is the goal of life to be as happy as possible? Um, I mean, maybe to some people, but I guess a Christian would say the goal of life is to obey the rules of God or, uh, or obey the morals of Christianity. Yeah, I mean, if how does one define what is good? Uh, like, like what, how, does one, how does one define the meaning of a life? Ooh, it's very existential now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if the meaning of life is happiness, wouldn't it make sense to sort of create your own false worldview that makes you super, super happy? Like, ah, you know, if I, the, the, the instant I die, I get to go to some sort of like, you know, oh, heaven. And that sounds like religion. That sounds like we've almost, cre- it sounds like we've created God for our own fear of death or for our own fear of a lack of meaningless, meaningless, or for not lack of meaningless, meaninglessness, a lack of meaning. So th- th- that, that's sort of interesting, you know, and it kind of, I, I think if you, I think if you approach it without the existence of God, you maybe, you maybe start to see why religion has been so popular for so long. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I guess people like, people like having a moral justification for their actions and people um people like the idea that they're doing something for a purpose and i think religion offers that i think of i think of the most strict religions are actually the the i think i think i think you would be i think human beings are the most um the most satisfied in the strictest religions not the most loose ones and why would that be I think it's because it, it really reinforces purpose and and and, uh, and meaning. It's just like you know we 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 can really well maybe it's not because we can really really know it's true. It's because like it creates a challenge. It creates meaning. Meaning is created in your pursuit of the end goal of this religion, which is to try to be as ethical as possible in order to you know go to heaven or escape hell or something of that of that nature. Um, so I would say. That I think the strict, I think I think also those back to my statistics too. The strictest religions are the most successful. Like look at, the, well, basically in the 1950s before the Second Vatican Council, which severely liberalized Catholicism, 
like 75% of Catholics in the United States attended, attended mass on a regular basis, like on a weekly basis. Now it's like a, it's a tiny number. Um, look at the latter, the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's very, it's very conservative. It's very, you know, there's a very high level of ethics and they have an upwards of 75% weekly attendance as I've, as I've stated earlier. But does that equate success though? Weekly attendance? Um, it depends on, well, I, I would, yeah, I would say like involvement in general. I, I think it's just kind of a good way to gauge it though. Like just weekly attendance. Cause if you're, if you're attend, if, if you're not attending church on a weekly basis, you're probably not, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. Thank you. You're probably not involved in other activities that the church does. Like, I mean, if you're not, you're not going to probably be, I don't know, um, involved in a, in a youth group, for example, if you're not attending church on a regular basis, right? Right. Uh, but I feel like the LDS church is unique in that people, would you agree that um, people tend to be ostracized if they leave the church in a predominantly LDS uh, city or, or area? Like if their family is, is are members and their friends and they leave the church, um, wouldn't that provide like an, an incentive to stay in the church? Maybe could that be the reason? Could that account for the high like attendance and participation? I don't have enough data on that, but um, maybe maybe you do. Uh, but um, I think it's the idea of like of difficulty. You want you want you want your religion to actually be very difficult. Why? Well, I mean, if, if we're saying, well, what does what does um, I don't know if I'll approach this theologically, but I guess I have no choice because it's a good illustration. It's like Jesus says, you know, enter heaven by not by the wide road that leads that that's the road that leads to destruction, but rather through the narrow gate. Strive to enter have, strive, strive to enter the kingdom of God through the narrow gate. And and why is that so appealing? Because if you are because it, it gives you meaning. It really does I mean if, if if heaven's easy to achieve, if if it's universalism, it seems kind of it seems it seems kind of ridiculous. But if there's if 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 you've for lack of for lack of a better word earned your salvation, whatever salvation actually is, it's all the more meaningful. So I, I and it also builds community too. I think that's a big part of it, right? You you have a strong community if you're all focused on one thing very diligently, like in most cases. Um, don't you think there has to be a balance between how strict a religion is and how like uh, what's the opposite of strict? How like lenient or relaxed because um you could say that islam is a restrictive religion um and you can kind of see that with the protests in iran like with women and uh being having less rights in a predominantly islam society a predominantly muslim society um so wouldn't you say that to a point restrictions would damage a society yeah i think i think you have to be um strict but not oppressive i think i think that's an important line to cross and i think that's that's not super hard to do um i, I think i think once you realize that once government and religion start to merge you're in you're in very hot water but i'm i'm simply talking about like religious communities not necessarily like religion penetrating every single aspect of society um although that that's maybe some, maybe an outgrowth of of a strict religious community they want to make sure that their that society looks as close to to them as possible in terms of its ethics i suppose and and possibly in terms of its culture well those are intertwined, but I think that um, I think that I think that the, the, the stricter religion, the more successful it would be. But I think at the same time, um, 
tradition is actually important to religion as well. I think that like a, 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 a tradition and intellectuality and what differentiates a religion from another one is also, it's also important to highlight those things. How do you think that a secular government can be moral? Well, like, would you argue that secular government is totally moral and is a much better solution than than quote unquote Christian government or like Islamic government? It's simply the idea that it's. I'm not promoting one thing as more for the other. I'm simply just saying that, like, in order for you to be to for for you to be um for you to have something in which to base morality, it's it's theism. And I think I think that we can use theism as a tool. I think that, I think I think that this is really weird. This is a really weird idea. But I think we can sort of use theism as a useful tool to to sort of you know we can sort of pull theism out of the toolbox at whim if we need to uh, come to a an, an ethical conclusion that cannot be reached through an atheistic worldview. But I think once we fully embrace an atheistic worldview, you know it's 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 kind of it's 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 not good because as I've said in Darwinianism. But I, th- I think I think it's it's sort of I think with the as long as meaning exists or as long as we think that meaning exists, I think that we will not reach a truly atheistic worldview. And if, as long as meaning exists, one is borrowing from a theistic worldview. Hopefully that that kind that kind of makes sense. It's, it's it's a little bit hard to articulate without without sounding like you're trying to promote a religious agenda, which I am most definitely not. But at the same time, I'm also trying to say that like meaning does come from theism and that that's kind of it can't come from atheism right i also think that because there's so many variations to theism there's so many different religions that um a government that that promotes a certain religion inherently disenfranchises those of other religions that are living in that country so i think that's another issue um but what do you think about just a theist government like doesn't it's not affiliated with any any particular religion, but it just prescribes to it a theist ideology. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that um, theism is a lot different than I, I think that the idea of of, of of theism and Christianity is 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 different than uh, I, I think. Uh, I, I don't think we need a religion. I don't think we. Need, I I don't think we need a government that is even sort of non denominational. I think that that there should be no. Government. I think that there should be no religion in government. I think that um, I think I think that would be a complete and utter disaster. What I believe, though, is that anyone who makes an ethical stance does borrow from the worldview of theism. And I believe that it might be. I think I think it's it's pretty much impossible to get away from the worldview of theism because as long as meaning exists, the worldview of theism is borrowed from. And if we get to a society in which the only goal is reproduction and passing on as much of one's genes as possible, then we can officially say we've abandoned a theistic worldview. But until that, right. but, but until that happens, we'll, we'll have to keep borrowing from theism. So when governments legislate on the basis of morality, on morality, you would say that they are, uh, they are taking that uh, view from religion, that the reason that they're legislating something on morality is because of religion as their basis, even if they're not religious. Yes, and so is everyone else. Right. So is us talking that this somehow is religious. Right. Because we're not just focused on uh, you know passing on as much of our genes as possible. We're actually sitting here having a conversation, and that in and of itself is us acting in diametric opposition to a neo to a 
to a uh, probably not neo-Darwinian. That's more that's more philosophical, but just a Darwinian uh, naturalistic worldview. Does this apply to all species too? So that's an excellent question. I think that I, I don't. I I think that that what separates human beings from like other animals is that human beings are essentially human beings conscious. Well, I think that the human civilization is inherently creative, and that's what makes human beings ontologically distinct from other creatures. Right. Yes. That makes sense. Um, But for other species, is it wrong for them to follow a Darwinian a Darwinian ideology or a Darwinian world? Is that wrong for, for other animals though? It's not wrong, but it doesn't account for meaning. And I think that human beings are different than other animals because they're, they actually assign meaning to things and they assign meaning to things by borrowing, by dabbling in that, in that theistic worldview. How would you define whether something can find meaning or not? Well, meaning beyond trying to reproduce and trying to raise one's offspring because there are certain animals that after they reproduce, they just like die. Sharks, or not sharks, but sharks abandon their, their youth. Well, I, I, after, after some animals, after they reproduce, they basically just, just die. Um, so I, I think that that's sort of a testament to, um, to, to this Darwinian naturalistic view. But if, if, if we hold to, to meaning, if we hold to the idea that speaking here about these ideas has any, any value we've borrowed from the theistic worldview. Because within an atheistic worldview, all is amoral, and the only good thing to do, again, would be to try to pass on as much genes as possible. Right. But aren't there, aren't there other um, aspects of Darwinian uh, thought? Because it's not just reproduction, it's also getting food, water, like survival instincts are also part of Darwinianism too, right? But, 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 why, what, what, but why do they want to survive? To reproduce. Precisely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting because it sort of creates paradoxes too. Like, oh, you know, well, like what even is theism? Like that that's right. that's an interesting one too. Like like is are, are you, what what worldview are you borrowing from? Are you borrowing from a Jewish worldview? Are you borrowing from a Christian worldview? Yeah. Or are you borrowing from a Zoroastrian worldview? And to some degree there's there's actually evidence that we're borrowing from all three. Right. At least in in Western civilization, um, so any species that's capable of of believing in a god um, should now abandon atheism or or abandon Darwinianism. Once you've found meaning beyond reproduction, you've borrowed from the theistic worldview and abandoned atheism. That's how I tend to look at it. Because it's not consistent with the worldview, there's there's no reason for us to have this to have this conversation if it's if 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 we're if if we're if we don't if we're truly athe- if we truly hold to atheism, which right. which we right. which we evidently don't because we're having this conversation right now. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, you've totally like changed 
everything that I thought before. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, you can think that you can think the Calvinists, and you can also think a man who's controversial. But I think he's I think he has good points. You know, Jordan Peterson. I'm not sure if you're familiar. with Oh him. yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you can disagree with him on on lots of things, but in terms of his ideas of the philosophy of religion, they're very very interesting. And I think that that he 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 he's also changed my view on original sin too, which I think is is quite interesting. Um, he, he's a, he's an interesting guy, and, and this is uh. And but I also do have to credit a guy named Greg Bonson and also a, a Christian uh, apologist by the name of, uh, of of James White. Both of them are Calvinists. They're they're both um, they both have interesting ideas and they're both um, right that we borrow from the worldview of theism. And it's very complicated and it makes your head want to explode. But it's yeah. still it's yeah. it's still a very relevant thing to talk about. I think. Right. Well, anything else you wanted to say? Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Godcast. I'm Xavier. I'm Rylan. And stay tuned. <laughs>